every single month, mama would fall off the bandwagon. I would eat all the cookies and the chips and the crackers and all the carbs and all the things. And I would beat myself up about it. I would say, what is wrong with me? Why can't I stick to this one way of eating? You know, there must be something wrong with my willpower. Maybe I don't want it enough. Like all the, all the gremlin type of voices that would go on. And it really wasn't until I had created a ketogenic program, I had put it in an online format. And then what I was getting from my participants in that program was, okay, I've lost all the weight. What next? Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Did you know that you can use your menstrual cycle to your advantage? When it comes to your menstrual cycle, we can actually use the four different phases as a way of indicating how to eat and how to exercise train for optimal health, fertility, and metabolism. Now, it's no surprise that we are constantly evolving throughout the month while we are still experiencing a menstrual cycle, and our body and our hormones fluctuate according to the four different phases of our cycle. Based on those changes, our bodies have different needs, and it's finally time that we fully understand those needs and make tweaks accordingly. And I can't think of a better way to help you tap into your physical and emotional potential than by having a deeper understanding for how to nourish and move your body throughout your menstrual cycle. That's why I'm excited to bring on Dr. Stephanie Estima today to share exactly how to approach eating and training throughout your cycle. But before we bring her on, let's first lay the groundwork for how your menstrual cycle works by breaking down the four phases. Now let's start with phase one, the first phase of your menstrual cycle, which is the first day of your period. Next, we saunter into the follicular phase. And this phase actually starts on day one as well, but it goes all the way to like day 13, 14. And this is where estrogen and testosterone are climbing or at their peak. And it's when we feel the most energized, the most creative, the most adventurous, and definitely the most sensual. The third phase is ovulation, and that is known as the main event, because without it, you cannot get pregnant or create a substantial amount of progesterone into the luteal phase, which is phase number four, where progesterone is most abundant right after ovulation, leading back into the first day of your menstrual cycle. Now, each phase can feel wildly different. Even though most women tend to only pay attention to the part of their cycle that can feel painful or difficult, that would be towards the end of your luteal phase when PMS is fully present. Now, based on the big hormone changes, we know that you can eat and train accordingly. And depending on how you eat and train can really make or break your metabolism, your mood, your sleep, and your energy levels. For instance, Towards the end of that luteal phase, basically when you're experiencing those PMS symptoms, it's time to step up the carbs. Now, many of us make the mistake and calorie restrict during those days leading up to our period, and it can lead to even worsening PMS symptoms, including feeling hangry, irritable, and exhausted. Now, the reason why your body is craving more food, especially carbs, is because Well, your body needs them. Your body also wants to slow down because the days leading up to your period 
even the first two days of your period, is energy depleting because it takes so much energy to build that endometrium and then to shed it. Now, now that you have a sense of how your body and your reproductive cycle works each and every month, I'm excited to bring on Dr. Stephanie to lay out the full plan on how to optimize your nutrition and exercise based on where you're at in your cycle. And I know you're going to love the recommendations that she has for all of us today. Now let's dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. Stephanie. But first, I want to sing her praises. Dr. Stephanie Estima is an expert in metabolism and body composition. She has a special interest in functional neurology, brain metabolism, and the specific application of ketogenic diet and fasting for the female physiology. Using her framework, the Estima Method, she focuses on distilling nutritional strategies for helping to actualize human potential, health span, longevity, and achievement. She's a top writer on Medium. She also is the host for The Better Podcast. And you want to be looking out for her upcoming book, The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Intuitive Eating, Balanced Hormones, and Transformative Sex. Let's welcome Dr. Stephanie Estima to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Stephanie Estima. How are you doing today, girl? I am so good and just thrilled to be back on this podcast. It's one of my favorites. Oh, I love, love having you. I've been savoring the moment for this conversation, and I'm so, so excited for all the things that are coming into your world, all of the amazing ways that you are showing up in the world, too. And what we're going to be talking about today is a topic that so many of my listeners are looking to dive into, and that is basically eating and training. So eating and and working out, moving our bodies according to our cycle. And then also some major considerations for these changes as we approach like perimenopause and menopause. Because you know, girl, it all just kind of, we have to make those considerations. Yeah. And I'm there too. Like I'm in peri, I would consider myself in perimenopause right now. So it's really, it's a very important topic for me and it's up front and center in terms of, well, how can I learn how to take care of myself? And then how can I help and, you know, take care of all the other women as well around me. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about kind of you navigating, I would say early, early perimenopause. Yeah, um, it's early. Just doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's early still, but it's, uh, early. <laughs> but it's funny because I used to dread, like I used to think, okay, that's when you turn into this spinster, you age and you're this, you know, all these different words that are, are that you have this connotations around this time. And it's actually something where I've completely reframed it. And I'm totally excited about this time because this is when you can really cue in attune with what your body's telling you. I mean, if there's any time, it's now, right? I mean, all throughout your life, it's important to be connected to yourself. But I think as your body is starting to navigate that change with your menstrual cycle and your cyclicity and the cadence around that, it's it's such a wonderful time to be able to, I always say like get underneath the throat, right? Like get out of your head, get into your body and learn what she's trying to tell you, learn what your body is trying to tell you and to be able to appropriately respond to the signals, the symptoms, the things that are popping up for you in order to, in order to be able to express your vitality and your optimum, you know, your optimization. 
I 100% agree. I think we get to know ourselves so much better at this time if we choose to do so, if we choose to listen to that intuition. But then also I think about like, yes, we've been fed these crazy myths and lies about what this particular, you know, phase in our life should look like. And, you know, that it we're just, we're destined towards old age or whatever, whatever craziness that, that we're being fed over here. And then I think about how I've watched your transformation. I've been so, so blessed to be a dear friend of yours for quite some time. And like, girl, like this is the time, not only have you just, you're just getting sexier. Can we just say that <laughs> for one, but I'll number pay you for two, that afterwards. <laughs> I'll pay that out to you afterwards. Thank you. Um, and the the other thing is that you are stepping in to to bigger, right? To like change agent status. Like you think about how, what this phase for you has been, the levels of up leveling, um, not only for your body, not only for your emotional and mental well being and your mindset, but then also career wise. Like if anything, this is where we rock it. This is how I feel about this phase in, in our lives. And especially if we listen to our bodies, we can just really navigate this in a very different way. Yeah. And first of all, thank you for saying that. That's so kind. And I reflect the exact same into you. You are so graceful. And the way that you, I mean, the things that you punch out, the book that's coming up, the podcast, all the things that you've created, you do it with grace and ease. And you're just an example for, you know, women, you know, friends like me to, you know, to be able to aspire to, but also um, for the people that you serve. So thank you for those kind words. But I, I think it's true. I think we, when we're younger, there's a certain societal, cultural, like, you know, have to look a certain way. And we, we, I mean, at least for me, I can, you know, I can share what my story has been. It's really just, I would live above my throat, right? Like I would live in my head there. If I stepped out of line in terms of my eating, there was, you know, excessive hours of cardio, there was punitive thoughts, there was hateful words, there was all of these things trying to force my body to look and perform and do and be a certain way. And I think that there's a maturity that happens and a coming into your own skin, I think that happens in perimenopause and in through menopause that is just really sexy. There's something really sexy about... And sexiness is like, it's it's birth from within, right? Like you are sexy from within... It comes from, I think, a sense of knowing who you are, a sense of feeling comfortable in your skin and being able to take care of yourself in the way that you should, not what some external societal norm is telling you to do. You need to look, be, eat, you know, speak a certain way. You just, you learn like, no, this is actually what feels good for me. And I think that for most women, I think we come into that around thirties and forties, like around the time of perimenopause, where we're like, you know what, this patriarchal world order, I'm just going to sit it up on the shelf and I'm going to do what's actually good for me, the woman, the, not the small man, the female. Yes. I think one of the sexiest things that I'm seeing we as women stepping into is really speaking our truth. That is one of the sexiest things I'm seeing. And so, yeah, redefining the word sexy. I like to say everything's sexy. And yes. so I'm always like, sexy this, <laughs> sexy that. And so it's it's really, I, for me, it's like carrying a woman live her truth and own, to have that ownership is the sexiest thing to me. And really just walk in that because you can see it. You can see it a mile away. Yeah, you can. 
I agree. You can feel it. You can feel it. You're like, okay, this woman loves who she is. She's confident. She's accepted all of her light and all of her dark. And I think that that's another rite of passage for most women is we have these, whatever type of, you know, however you want to define trauma, right? Like big T trauma, little T trauma. We, we come in and we own it and we're like, okay, I love all the parts. I love all the dark parts. I love all the scary parts, the ugly parts, the sloth, you know, like all the inner, you know, all the things that we run away from when we're younger. And then you also love all your bright, shiny, sparkly bits too. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love all of that. Well, one of the things I know that you have just really dialed in, not only through cutting edge research, but also through really supporting so many women through is that is how to eat, how to, how to nourish our body, how to provide our body with that critical information according to our cycle and specifically looking at like changes in our hormones, our sleep, our nutrition, because every, our cycle as we, we're cyclical in so many ways. But as we're still menstruating, um, that is hap- we're changing on a weekly basis. You know, we're, we're navigating this terrain every month. And so love for you to step into, and this is, I know that you've been living this as well, and really fine dialing and fine tuning how to really eat and nourish your body for your changes and what's going on with you. Um, so talk to me about, about eating according to our cycle. Like how can we really master this and, and really more so be in tune with what's right for us. Yeah, thank you. And this is this has been something that's been transformative for myself, as you mentioned, and for the women that I have spoken to and I've worked with. So one of the things that I think I really got wrong in not only as as a human, as a person in terms of my eating habits, but also as a clinician early on in my earlier years was that we were small archetypes of men. We were just like smaller versions of men with just more hormones. So what I would do, both myself and my recommendations to my patients would be, okay, well, if you want to lose weight or you want to get metabolically healthy, these are the steps that you need to take. And then you're just going to, there was no consideration for the female cadence, for the female, for the hormonal milieu and the landscape that women have. And of course, when we think about rhythms, the most obvious rhythm is our menstrual cycle, which is about a month. So a woman will go through her entire hormonal landscape over about 28, 29 days. I mean, there's a bit of a spread there. call it like 26 to 32 days. So she will go through her entire hormonal milieu in that time. Whereas a man will go through his entire hormonal composition in about a day, right? So he will run through all of his testosterone and estrogen and it kind of resets for him the next day. And we see, of course, corporate culture is very much structured around this like wake up early, you know, punch out a lot of work in the morning, you know, meetings in the afternoon and social socialization in the early evening, women are not really built like that. We don't go through our entire cycle in a day. We go through it over the course of the month. So one of my big aha moments or my big learnings about myself was when I would try to stick to a diet, when I would try to stick to a way of eating, I would do really well, like relatively well for the first two, two and a half weeks of my cycle. And then I would try to force, it was like putting a square peg in a round hole. I would continue to try to eat that way in the second half of my cycle, which is, I'm sure your listeners know, I know you talk about menstruation a lot. This is called our luteal cycle. So I would just try and force and force. And of course, every single month, mama would fall off the bandwagon. I would eat all the cookies and the chips and the crackers and all the carbs and all the things. And I would beat myself up about it. I would say, what 
is wrong with me? Why can't I stick to this one way of eating? You know, there must be something wrong with my willpower. Maybe I don't want it enough. Like all the, all the gremlin type of voices that would go on. And it really wasn't until I had created a ketogenic program, I had put it in an online format. And then what I was getting from my participants in that program was, okay, I've lost all the weight, what next? And I started playing, and I I talk about this, we were just talking about this in the pre-chat in my upcoming book, I took a trip to Italy and I had just had a very tumultuous divorce with young children. My clinic had burned down. I had just, I was just exhausted. And my periods were always the worst. They were always, it was me versus my period. It was, I would try to force and force. It was like a war zone. It was a war zone. And I was always like, I am going to put that square hole in the round peg or whatever. And it never worked out for me. My periods were all, I always had, my breasts were always tender, swollen, angry, belly was distended, couldn't sleep, all those things. So it really wasn't until I started tracking my cycle, understanding the different ebbs and flows of when estrogen's high, when progesterone's high, when testosterone is high, for me to start changing the macronutrient composition of the diet, where I really started to understand and have a deeper understanding of female physiology and its interplay with food. So I know this is a longer answer, but I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up and say that the way that I eat now is absolutely aligned and attuned with where I am in my menstrual cycle. So as a general rule in our follicular phase, which is the first two weeks of our cycle, we tend to be much more adaptive to eating more of a ketogenic style diet. So I will tend to restrict my carbohydrates in the first half of my cycle. And then in the second half of my cycle, we're a little bit more lenient, right? So there tends to be, especially in that last week, all calories, like I have more calories in the last week, more carbohydrates, more proteins, more fats, more everything, just because it's all hands on deck in week four, right? It's like, we are making this endometrium. We are, even whether or not you want children, your biology is pushing towards that, right? So in week four, you are utilizing amino acids, your nitrogen utilization is higher, your, your uh, glycogen and glucose utilization is higher, your free fatty acids, all these, comp- you need to be actually eating more calories in the last week. And that doesn't mean going to haagen and clearing out the store, you know, like 10 to 15% more is usually what I recommend and what I practice myself. 10 to 15% more calories in that last week is really going to help curb your cravings. You're not going to feel like you're losing, right? Because you're not trying to fight against your own natural biology. And it's also just going to make for just a much more pleasant week right before your period. So to get just even a little bit more specific for you, in week one, I usually, like in the bleed week, like the week where you're you're shedding your menstruating, I typically follow a ketogenic diet during that time. So like a purely keto, like a very low carbohydrate, moderate protein, higher fat. In week two, so now you finished your period. This is the week before you ovulation. You get your groove in week two. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you are sexy. You are horny. <laughs> you are like, and this, it's, it, you know, your estrogen is also plumping up mm-hmm. everything, right? Like everything looks up. good. Those lips, yeah, everything's good. filled out. <laughs> That's right. So I actually will increase my protein during this week. So I will go away from a ketogenic diet and actually have more of a sort of lower, the the composition I use in week one is 70% fat, 20 protein, 10% carbs. In week two, it's 40, 40, 20. So 40% fat, 40% protein, and then the remainder 20% will be carbohydrates. And that's because we are trying to profit off of testosterone. Testosterone 
peaks in that week prior to ovulation. That's why you feel sexy. That's why you're chasing your partner around the dining room table to get upstairs with him, right? It's because of testosterone. That's your libido. So we want to, in terms of playing the long game, we want to be maximizing on building lean muscle mass. And you can do that two ways. One is through your diet, which is what I'm talking about with this higher protein intake. And obviously the other part of that is resistance training, which I'm sure we'll get to today as well. So I like to increase my protein in that second week so that you can drive something called muscle protein synthesis, which is just kind of what the name sounds like. You're synthesizing new muscle proteins. And you can do that through increasing your protein in the diet. And that's something that I, I do. And I actually tend to lift heavier that week as well. Like when we kind of pair that with the, the exercise part of it, I also lift really heavy there as well. So I'm trying to get to like four, five, six reps, and then I'm kind of done, but it's heavy, heavy weight. Yeah. So I try to pair my diet and my exercise based on where I am in my cycle. So that would be an example of week two. Week three, I kind of go back to keto, kind of go back to that week one. And then like I already mentioned, the week four, everything, we increase everything. So upping the calories, upping the carbs, upping the fats, upping the proteins. Mm. Okay. So got a good landscape. And yeah, and speaking, so it sounds like week two in particular, because our testosterone levels are rising up as well, is we're leveraging that to really create more muscle mass composition. So maybe even to help regulate insulin levels, to help regulate blood sugar levels, help to keep our metabolism more more resilient and flexible during that time. So that makes a lot of sense to me. The one question I have, because I know that we've, we've spoken so much, even here on the podcast, you and I, is about intermittent fasting. Does that still continue to play out or do you make modifications and changes to intermittent fasting as well throughout the cycle? What a great question. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. So there's different, and the the short answer is yes, I do change the way that I fast through our, our cycle. So this really will depend on your hormonal pre, if you tend to be more of a PCOS type of woman where you have excess androgens or you're not aromatizing properly or if you tend to have more estrogen relative to progesterone in that second half of the cycle. So there's, there's a couple of different you know, it's like choose your own adventure kind of based on, you know, your hormonal profile. If you're like chronically stressed, there's, there's other ways, but I would say generally, I definitely change the way that I fast. So in the first week, that week where we were talking about the ketogenic diet, your body can also take more aggressive types of fasts. So there are different categories of fasting. And I talk about this in the book. I often will refer to it as like the three levers of fasting. So you can pull a lever in terms of type, in terms of frequency, and in terms of length. So the type of fast throughout your cycle can change. I tend, if I am going to do a fast, it tends to be in my bleed week. If it's going to be a water only fast, that is when I do it because that is when we are most resilient, like estrogen, like all your hormones that are causing all the PMS and all that, they sort of take a bit of a vacation in that first week, right? Like the only thing that's really sort of holding down the fort is FSH there. So you just got that's FSH. It. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, she's, that's the one that's like kind of doing all the work. She's like, everything. I'm trying to ha- handle this situation over here. <laughs> yeah. Estrogen's gone on vacation. Progesterone's Progesterone, on a, yep. Yeah. She's on a beach somewhere. So we have, you know, we have FSH holding down the fort. So you are really much more resilient in that time for a more aggressive type of fast, like a water fast. So that would be the week I would recommend it. If you are someone who has excess androgens, 
like a PCOS type of person or someone who is displaying more insulin resistance, then we can sprinkle in more of those water fasts throughout your cycle. But for most women, I, I sort of bracket it and keep them in that first week. In the second week, I will, I generally practice intermittent fasting or a time-restricted eating schedule. So there's no extended, I'm eating, I'm still eating every day. I'm just holding the hours in which I eat a bit more consistent. So I might eat, like I tend to eat in a, in eight hour eating window. Like usually I start after I I work out. I used to eat from 12 to eight. Like I used to start eating at noon and then finish, but I've found I've naturally just graduated over time. I like to eat after my workout because I I am like you, I like to work out in the morning. So I like to wait. I wake up with a lot of stuff. I wake up and I want to like go down and lift some weights. So I will lift my weights. That's me, girl. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's what I love you, girl. Like you and me are very like two pieces in a pot. So I like to do my workout in the morning and then I usually will have some protein after that. So in that second week, I'm, I'm just practicing what I would call time-restricted eating, like no extended periods of time where there's no food. In week three and four, so now we have ovulated. Now we're in the luteal. Yeah. Now we're Ovulation the has happened. The main event. Exactly. The main event. The princess is out. She's waiting. The queen is out waiting for the sperm. And the hormonal landscape, as you know, changes quite a bit, right? So if you if you have any hormonal derangement, any kind of issues, this is where it tends to show up. So we tend to see more sleep disturbances here. We tend to like your rings, you know, they start to get tighter on your fingers. You know, you tend to you retain more water. Bowel movements slow down. All these things. So. If there is some kind of estrogen dominance or again, androgen dominance, in week three, I really like what I refer to as a caloric liquid fast. So this would be bone broth. You might be sipping on broth all day long trying to reduce some of the inflammation. Bone broth, of course, is really, really great for joints. And that's one of the things that we see a lot in week three and four is like achy joints, headaches, Headaches, this kind of like musculoskeletal. Yeah. So I, I like to give them bone broth. There's in and in bone broth, you know, we have a lot of different things that are going to help with joint pain. We have glycine, we have glumino, what we call gags or gluminoglyco glycan. <laughs> I always mess it up. But those gags are going to help with pliability of the joint. So you're going to allow for the, the bones to slip across each other range of motion can improve by having that bone broth. So I like to have the bone broth fast in the in the second half of the of the cycle. And then in week four, again, you actually need to be eating more in week four. So the only thing I tend to recommend there is again like a time restricted eating where you're not going for multiple days without food, your body needs food at this point. And I think that's a bit of a workaround for a lot of women. Like we've always been told like calories in, calories out, we got to restrict it. We got to always be on some sort of diet. And I think in week four, this is a time to really just let all of that go because your body requires, and this is something I really want to get into the listener's head, like your body requires more food. It's more energy. Yes, you need to, you are, you are building up an entire new organ. There is an entire new organ that your body, the endometrium is building up in preparation for the baby, whether or not you want it is, you know, not your choice at this point, right? Right. Your body's in full mode. Like it's just what it does. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so I tend to have like intermittent fasting week two and four, and then there can be different types of fasts in week one and three, sort of depending on the type of uh, hormonal presentation that, that someone might have. 
And what we're talking about in, in that week four isn't the Hagen dazs isn't the extra Cheetos. We're, you know, we're still talking about healthy carbs. We're talking about sweet potatoes. We're talking about spaghetti squashes. We're talking about good, healthy, you know, starches, good, healthy veggies and fruits. Those are the types of, of you know, carbohydrates we're looking at here in order to really fuel, because ultimately we're still fueling the body. We don't want to trash it. Yeah. And it's really, you know, you are what you absorb, right? So if you are, if you are going to be eating lots of green leafy vegetables, like you were saying, a lot of the good starches, and, and that actually brings me to a point, I, I want to just talk about resistant starches, the importance of that in, in just a second. But you also want, like, it's not the cookies and the chips and the crackers and the haagen and the pizzas and the whatever. You want to also be, re- your goal in that second half of the cycle, if you tend to feel inflamed, is to reduce inflammation. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by increasing your consumption of vegetables, all colors of the rainbow, but in particular greens. So in particular, we have the brassica family, we have you know the kohlrabi, the Brussels sprouts, the kale, the Swiss chard, the arugula, the spinach, all the green leafy vegetables, those all have compounds in them that are going to A, help you poop, which is really important in, in your second half of your cycle. I mean, that's the best part of getting your period, right? Is like the period poops because your progesterone like slows down. We your... need to get it out. <laughs> <laughs> to get her out. So the cruciferous vegetables help with that, right? Like they bulk up the stool, they attract water to the bowel. So as it's moving through the intestinal system, it's much easier for you. You're not pooping out those little rabbit poos, those little hard little uh, pellets. More yeah. substantial. Yeah, it's more it's more substantial. Shuttlers. <laughs> uh, we're talking about poo and I'm I'm happy about it. I don't know about you, but I love <laughs> well, talking about it. And poo. we know that these are powerful for detoxification. So the liver is loving you right now. It guarantees that we are metabolizing estrogen down the right pathways. It's guaranteeing that um, our estrobolome is happy, um, our my- microbiome is happy. Just a lot of wonderful things here. When and and then, like you said, the big overarching win is nobody wants and nobody needs inflammation. And that's what we often. That's how we. So often, do we just feel? You can feel that that bloatiness. That's the linchpin. That's yeah. the linchpin to all disease. I mean, you can talk about cardiovascular disease. You can talk about diabetes. You can talk about metabolic stuff. Inflammation is the linchpin. It is the common thing with all of those th- with all of those diseases. So our goal, and as we like in perimenopause, and as we move towards menopause, we actually have a tendency to become more insulin resistant. We have a tendency to have more inflammation. So it is very important for us to be mindful of how we can be reducing our inflammation, in particular in that second half of the cycle. So the cookies, the chips, and the crackers, like throw them out the window. Have more of the brassica family. Pepper, I know women are like, listening to this right now and they're like, is she trying to tell me <laughs> to swap out ice cream for Brussels sprouts? Oh, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> and listen, listen, 80-20 rule, right? Like you can have ice cream. I'm not saying that you can't coconut, have it. Coconut ice cream. <laughs> coconut, yeah, you can have coconut ice cream. Yeah, you can have it, but it's it's what you do 80% of the time, right? That is going to yield the majority. There's like, we just had, just recently we had Canadian Thanksgiving. I know we do it like super early, like way before you guys. You guys are so much cooler than we are yeah. over here. <laughs> it's actually quite October Thanksgiving, here. okay. 
<laughs> we do not wait for November. Yeah. <laughs> November is, is too cold for, for Thanksgiving <laughs> for us. For us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you can have the pasta and you can have the things for special occasions, but it's what you do, you know, in your everyday week, that's going to really leading up to some bigger holidays, like the, you know, like Christmas and, you know, and, and Thanksgiving that are going to really allow for that flexibility. Mm. Well, and I think it's so important that you bring up the insulin resistance. I always say, you know, the, the hormone to be on the lookout for in our 40s is insulin. And that's the one we, I know progesterone and estrogen, they're just getting their, their spotlight, but it's, it's insulin that I'm most concerned with for women and it's inflammation. Yeah. She's sneaky. She is a sneaky. Yes. She's insidious. She's behind, she's under the, like behind the scenes and the doctors aren't connecting the dots. So they're not looking at it. They're not seeing that connection. I love how you've laid this out. Now, I know some women are listening and they're thinking, oh my gosh, my head's spinning a little bit. But we got a, you got a book coming out. I know we're going to be talking about that in, when it comes out in, in February. So no worries. And you've got a little bonus guide, which we're not even close to talking about yet. But I just want to let everyone know, if you're thinking to yourself, I couldn't take notes fast enough. I couldn't get all this on paper. Dr. Stephanie Seaman knows that this is a process. And so she's got a little, a little bonus for us towards the end. But what I want to do is I want to segue to moving our bodies as well. So we've kind of laid out metabolically how we can eat and, and support our bodies throughout our cycle. And I think that there's probably a massive collective exhale around that fourth, that PMS time yeah. where, yeah. you know, we have all just been given permission to increase the caloric load, to not beat ourselves up because our bodies, those cravings are coming in. We're not sure why we're told that's not okay. And right now we're being told biologically based on how much mitochondria are needing support right now because your ovaries have the most mitochondria in the entire body. All of the processes that are gearing up to make the perfect terrain for maintaining a pregnancy or getting a pregnancy, whether you want it or not, your body's just going to do it. This is what it looks like to make it happen. Like hopefully it's all clicking into place for everyone listening that there's a reason why you know, four to five days before your period, you are ravenous and you're probably feeling a little bit of shame and blame, but that this is a reason. And now we have, now we understand. What's and it's really not your body on. going rogue. Like it's not yeah. your body. No, you know, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And just for context, you mentioned mitochondria, the oocyte, so the ovary, the cells in the ovary, 100,000 mitochondria. So just for comparison, when we look at a myocyte, when we look at a cell in the heart, 5,000. A hepatocyte or a liver cell, 2,000. Your ovaries are like- And a like, neuron is just like, I think it's around 10. Yeah. So think about 100,000 to 5,000 to 2,000. Like they are like the eyes that you don't, they are the eyes in your womb, right? Like they are, there is so much information. They require that much energetic or energy producing capacity. Mm-hmm. So just- surrender, just like soften a little bit and surrender into the idea that it's what makes you uniquely and beautifully female. Well, and let's just celebrate that the ovaries of every body part, man or woman, it's, they are requiring the most energy because at the end of the day, we are the creators of life. 
And that's what it requires. It requires a level of energy that no other cell has to be able to produce. And so this, I, I know people don't know that. I know that people think that the brain is the is like the hungry hippo, you know, just gobbling up as much energy as it can. And no, ovaries kick the brain's butt <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> And it definitely kicks the testes butt and any male brain that I know of. So I just wanted to just speak into that real quick. <laughs> little, little unknown fact. A lot of women don't know. Okay, so we're, we are talking about the importance for training according to our cycle. And we touched upon this a tiny, tiny bit in that week two. We talked about the increase in testosterone. Girl, you're talking about that heavy lifting that you're doing, building up that that muscle mass, that muscle composition, um, especially the lean muscle mass. I know a lot of us, especially as we saunter into our 40s and our 50s, the, the big, big elephant in the room is that we're putting on unexplained weight gain, right? And we we don't know why. We don't know what's going on. And I know that this is so tied to everything here. So talk to me about how, and I know that so many women either they're, we're overworking out, we're overworking out at the wrong times. It's just, it's very complicated. Like I feel like for women, it can be really hard to really nail this. Okay. So let's start off with a pre-frame because I always, I hear this all the time. So I just want to nip it in the bud. It doesn't matter how heavy you lift, you are not going to turn into the Hulk. You have to be lifting. As a female, you have to be having some type of resistance training protocol. And I'll talk to you about what I have found works really, really well across a whole bunch of different types of body types and and, and what have you. But the one thing I always bump up against is like, am I going to turn into like a guy? Am I going to... And let me tell you, if I could have found a way to make that happen, like if I could find a way, if there was a way for me without taking exogenous testosterone for me to build muscle faster with more testosterone, I would have found it. You cannot bulk up as a woman. You do not have the the amount. We have about 10 times less T than our male counterparts. So I just want to say that and not, and really get women comfortable with the idea of lifting heavy because, and this ties into what we were saying with insulin resistance as well, Mm -hmm. because- Yes, please, girl, tell me, tell us that weightlifting is a thing that we got to be doing. uh, We, everybody has to do it in some form or capacity. And there's a lot of as we are in perimenopause, in particular, we've already mentioned this metabolically that we become more insulin resistant. So meaning that when we have, when we eat a carbohydrate, it turns into glucose and glucose will trigger insulin to, which is the hormone that's going to take glucose and drop it in the cell. But over time, our cells don't listen as well to insulin anymore. So we have more blood glucose. So one of the ways, natural ways that you can improve that is by increasing your muscle mass. Your muscles are like a sponge for glucose. The more muscle mass that you have, the better glucose disposal agent you will be. And what I mean by that is when you have, you're actually, you can actually eat more carbohydrates, which is like a great thing. But it also, when you do have a carbohydrate, your muscles are going to sop it up. Like they're going to be like, just like sponges, sopping it all up from the bloodstream because muscle is functional, active tissue. So we like your, and once, and the the beautiful thing about your muscles as well is once the glucose gets in there, it can't get out. Okay. It lacks the phosphate. Yeah. It's in there. It's like Vegas. Like what happens there? It stays there. It can't get out. It stays in the muscle. So it is going to be exclusively for the use of the muscular, for the muscle itself. Amen. And best believe body composition, all the things that are changing in our body. Women want to know what's the secret. You, we got to stop up that glucose. We you got to stop. 
Yeah. And, and also I would say as well, the way that you are going to, and of course, when you build muscle, you're going to look great, right? Like there's an aesthetic component to it as well, but you're physiologically going to work better. So when you do have Thanksgiving and when you do have the Christmas pudding or whatever, your body is going to be much more efficient at getting rid of that. So you are going to improve your baseline, you know, your fasting blood glucose is going to be better. And then when you do eat more carbohydrates, you're going to be a much more efficient at getting your blood glucose back down to, to normal. So you got to work out again, as a woman, we're not small men. You can't just work out the same way all the time. So we touched on it before. I really like to lift heavy weights. I want to really profit off of that peak in testosterone. It only peaks once in the entire month. So we really want to maximize by lifting really heavy weights. And when I say heavy, like you're maxing out at five reps. So it's like heavy, heavy weights. You may need a spotter uh, if you have someone around you, or you know, you can do what you can, as heavy as you can to you know, a five rep, six rep max. In week one and week three, I like there to be moderate weights. So this would be, and this is going to vary for everybody, but I really like to be punching out like somewhere between eight and 10 repetitions. And the, when, whenever I say that people are like, well, I don't know what weight, you know, what weight is it? And you, a, a rule of thumb is always the last three repetitions should be very like they should be challenging. Like you should feel it. You should be able to do it with good form, but eight to 10 repetitions. So it's moderate weight. So that's going to vary from person to person based on your history with weight, weight training, based on you know your experience with it. But you will also, even if you do the exact same workout, you know the exact same exercises through each week and you are playing around with the weight, you are going to see incredible, incredible results over time. So week one and three, I like it to be moderate. And then week four, it depends on the person. So I tend to like to use lighter weights this week. Things are just a bit more, it's, it's a bit of a harder week, right? It's, you know, we tend, even just from a mindset perspective, progesterone's dropping. We tend to have a negative bias. So it's harder. It feels harder. It's a harder week. It is a hard week for me working out in that week. I mean, I've always done it and I've always powered through it. But it, it's been it's a challenging and you know until I decided that you know what this you know, asking my body what would really serve you right now, it's it's not going to the wall. It's not doing like thirty spin classes, you know. So I tend to do lighter weights that week, but a higher rep. So I'm still working the muscle. I'm still flushing out any source of inflammation there. So it's somewhere between fifteen and twenty reps, lightweight. I also really like to consider and the fluctuation of estrogen through the cycle affects our, our ligaments and our tendons. So in week two, we see estrogen's apex, right? It lifts up to its highest point in the cycle right before ovulation because it's trying to get, it's trying to mature, help mature. I mean, estrogen is a trophic, it's a growth factor, right? So what we tend to see is that estrogen makes our ligaments a little bit more slack, like a little bit more lax, and it tends to make our tendons stiffer. So what does that mean? It means that like high impact activity, so high intensity, in, like when you're doing sprinting or burpees or power jumps, jumping squats, these you are probably, this is not the week to do it because your ligaments, especially particularly in your knee, much more lax during this time because estrogen is so high. It is a great time to just focus on heavy weights because your tendons are a little stiffer. So once your tendons are stiffer, of course, they can transmit the force that you're exerting in the muscle to the bone 
much more effectively. So there's a couple times in the month of that one in particular where I don't actually like high intensity interval training. So it's that week two. And you mentioned type of exercise and I often will speak to women and they'll say, you know, I don't understand it. Like I'm doing four hit workouts a week or I'm going to spin five times a week and I just can't seem to shift this belly weight. And what that usually tells me, especially if it's belly weight in particular, is that you are driving the sympathetic tone, the sympathetic system. When you are doing high intensity interval training or spin classes all the time, you are driving up inflammation and you're not allowing for time to recover. So I actually like to limit throughout the cycle, one hit, maybe two, maybe two uh, for the average athlete, like one or two hit trainings a week. And then I actually like to abstain from it completely in week two because of that ligamentous change that we see um, under the influence of, of estrogen. So, uh, HIIT training is great. I mean, it's a great exercise, but it actually is quite, you know, exercise in and of itself is a stressor, right? It's a hormetic stressor. Like it's a good stressor over the long term. but what you're doing is you're, you're literally ripping apart muscle fibers, right? So you need to allow for time for recovery. And that's why I like everything to be lighter in week four. I also like to view week four as a, a bit more of a recovery week of sorts. So lighter weights, maybe Pilates and yoga is really great during this time as well. Because if you don't allow, if you, all your gains, if you are looking to, if you are looking to build muscle, all your gains happen in recovery. They don't actually happen in the gym. They don't happen with the weights. They actually happen when you're recovering. You know, just like when you sleep, you're repairing, right? You're getting rid of the brain crud that's that's built up over the course of the day. You're repairing your muscles. If you do not give yourself the opportunity to recover, and this is for the ladies that are listening that do five soul cycle you know, classes a week. Um, and who are doing HIIT trainings every single week and who are burning out and exhausted by 3 p.m. and who are not, the scale is either frozen or it's ticking upwards and you're super grouchy. I mean, I've been that woman where I overworked myself to the ground. And so often it, it's, there's stressors happening in your life and the exercise is the tipping point. Yes. It's what's going to send you over the edge. And if you're looking to change your body composition and you're not allowing for proper recovery, your body will hold on to your fat like an insurance policy. Like survival. Yeah. Like it's Armageddon's not coming. Let it go. Yes. Yeah. Like, Ooh, why girl. am I spinning? Why am I spinning for 45 minutes every single day? Do I really need this? Like, you have to think about how this is being perceived by your cells as well. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I so appreciate that because I know that there are women listening right now who are working their butts off, who are doing too and too much, and they're not seeing any of the gains. If anything, they're seeing negative gain and they feel completely crummy. And so I'm so glad that we're talking about this specifically. I know for me, when I got my Hajimoto's diagnosis, I went, I honestly went strictly to weight training. I took out all the cardio. I took out all the HIIT training. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you can speak to this a little bit, but I find that if women are in burnout phase, it's time to just lay it, like give yourself you know, a, a three weeks to a month of full recovery, like do your hikes, do your walks, do some yoga, maybe dance around the house, but like you got to do a reset. And this is, this is, I love that you're bringing this up because I think that this is where we need to, as women surrender to our feminine, right? Because it's like the go, go, go checking off all the to-dos on the to-do list. This is a very, even weight training, very masculine endeavor, right? But it is, it, it is the balance of the training and the recovery, allowing yourself the time to recover, surrendering to the rest, giving yourself permission to heal, saying, you know what? I am worth it. I am worth 
waiting for. I am worth taking some time off and allowing my body to do what it innately knows what to do. And it can be hard for, you know, I'm, I am that woman. I still struggle with that type A, you know, like gotta do, gotta do, gotta do. But my body now will, you know, and this is kind of the beauty of perimenopause when my body's like, listen, you can't, you can't work 12 hours anymore. You can't do that anymore. You have to, like, I always, it's like three o'clock. I always catch myself. I have a hundred tabs on my computer and I'm just like switching between them and I, I'll catch myself and I'll be like, I think I need a break. Yeah, I think I'm becoming a zombie away. at my yeah. computer. Like, I don't even know what the tabs say anymore. It's so true. Well, I was, um, I, you know, when it, I hadn't talked too much about this on the podcast, but I got put on restriction for my pregnancy at week 22. Um, I kind of got my energy back around week 19. Girl, I started jump roping. I started doing wow. jump squat. I started doing the things yeah. I, know I love you. to I do. Know. I, the, the nerd, <laughs> the type A in me sees and loves the type A in you. I see it. I know it. I know and, it. Um, and I didn't realize I had a little bit of a low hanging. Uh, my my placenta had dropped below. And it, it was going to, I knew it was going to wander on back up, but I had a little bit of spot bleeding. Totally freaked me out. Had to go to the doctor. And she's like, you're on restriction. And so had to really clearly no more no more hit training, no more jump squats, no more jump rope. I'm still been been weightlifting, but been very, very cognizant and careful because again, I'm always so mindful about, I want the sponge for the glucose. I want to make sure that I've got that metabolic resilience because, you know, you're just talking about just being in perimenopause and being pregnant just, you know, just why not both at the same time? There's, uh, <laughs> there is um, the concern for gestational diabetes. And so making sure that still, to, you know, honoring my body, but, you know, just listening to that, fem- like, clearly listening to the indicator and just shutting it down, you know, and, and clearly this is a very... There's not, I don't know how many women listening to this right now are pregnant and in perimenopause, you know, but that it's, it, for me, it was really just about that. Oh, there's a It's cue. a lesson for everyone yeah. though. It's a lesson for everyone because I think that we are taught, this is a societal thing where we are taught that our worthiness is intimately tied to our productivity. So the more that we produce, the more worthy we are. So if we can begin to unhitch this, we can just unhitch the idea that if I rest that is actually one of the most productive things I can do. And if I do, if I just sit on the couch today, or if I go for a walk instead of, I mean, I don't mean to poo-poo on SoulCycle. I mean, they have great classes, but you know, like burpees or whatever, right? Like if I can just do something gentle, that is actually way more productive for my soul, for my soul juju, you know, rather than, oh, well, I was able to take off five things off my to-do list. Aren't I worthy now? It's my, it's my biggest limiting belief. And I feel like I'm always tackling it. I have a full like vulnerability and this, it's just what I, it's my whole life. It's been tied to the worth of worthiness of production. And now that awareness and knowing that, and then, but it's amazing. Like you can even know that belief and be working on that belief and it can just come back. It could just creep back in girl. It's sneaky. It's super sneaky. Yeah. And it actually evolves with you over time. (laughs) Like I was having this conversation. We just celebrated a year on the podcast and I remember, yay. And then I I remember when I first was like hesitating about starting the podcast, like my inner voice was like, well, like who needs another health podcast? Like what's the, you know, what's the thing that you're going to offer that's like unique? Like what do you, and now, and so then, so through the course of the year, I added on another show, which 
I call geeky magic. It's just me. Like, so I'm not interviewing anyone. I'm just talking just me and the listener. And before I started that, oh my God, the voice in my head was like, listen, people are only listening to your podcast because of the people that you have on. Like it's only the network. So she, she morphed into what do you need another podcast? Like who needs another podcast? Why do you even need to do this to, okay, people are listening, fine, whatever, but they're only listening for other people. If you come on and only talk, people are not going to like that. So just having an awareness and I, and I share that so that you know that I'm crazy. Well, and and one, <laughs> we've had these conversations and I was like, one, you need to start this podcast. Two, yes. everyone wants to hear what you have to say. Um. <laughs> no, thank you. But I, I share it to, to let the listener know that your inner critic, the person or the voice, you know, wherever it came from, is going to morph over time and she's not going anywhere. She's going to be with you forever. So it's just, you have to learn to dance with her. So I, like you, I'm going to be, figuring out how to step more into my feminine and more into the surrender and the slowdown because recovery for me is also difficult as well. Like if I start, like there was a couple of months ago, I was doing some shoulder press and I felt like a little tweak and I was like, oh, I'll just like work through it. Work and through it. Injured, through my, that. injured myself in like, like a doorknob. Like, you know, I should have stopped and said, okay, like shoulders hurting, something you tweak something, like ice it, whatever. Didn't I worked through it? I injured myself, so I, it took me. And then, of course, my body was like, "Okay, now you can't do anything for your shoulders for eight weeks." Did you learn your lesson? You know, like your body will always like if you don't listen to the whisper. First, she's the whisper. Scream. Yep. Yeah. She's gonna so, backtrack you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love all these beautiful lessons, and I know that. Um, oh my gosh, my audience is gonna just soak all this up. And I know the first thing that they're gonna want to do is really start to tweak their their food, tweak how they're eating. One thing I love so much about this is that really owning our female feminine body's wisdom and aligning with that. And so this is what you've done such a marvelous job. And I can't wait to see the full masterpiece of this book come out. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. But then I just love that you've got this beautiful little bonus for us to to plug in now so we can get started now. So tell me a little bit about this bonus and how we can begin to use it. So this actually, I have never offered this before. This is just going to be, this is like kind of exclusive to uh, to your podcast right now. So this is going to be a four week meal plan that I have created. These are recipes that I have created in my kitchen that I've used with clients around the cyclical eating that we've been talking about. So how to eat a more ketogenic diet or keto style diet in the first and the third week, how to up your protein in uh, week two, and then how everything kind of can increase um, in week four. So I have meal plans there with all the nutrient breakdowns, all the macro breakdowns, like the instructions, the ingredients, all that kind of stuff. Really, really proud of it. Happy to uh, happy to give it uh, to you guys. So I can, I, I'll give you, I'll send you the link, and you yes. can maybe put in the show notes for uh, for your for your. Well, hundred percent will be in the show notes. We'll make sure that you know exactly how to get it. Everyone, love that. And then, Doctor Stephanie Asima, honey, tell us where we can check you out, girl. Talk about the podcast. Holler at us about the website. Let us know where we can find you. <laughs> sure. So um, I have a podcast called Better with Doctor Stephanie. So you can listen to that wherever you listen to. Uh, Dr. Maritza's podcast. You can listen to ours as well. You can find me on the gram on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Stephanie Estima. And the website that you can go to right now would be drstephanieestima.com. So Dr. First Name, Last Name.com. Perfect. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Girl, your wisdom. Oh, 
So powerful. I love that you're you're connecting into the feminine in such a beautiful way and really opening the door for us to do that as well. And we could navigate this through our 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond, really setting us up for success. I want to say thank you so much for that. It's always, and let me just say, it's always such a pleasure when I get to spend time with you. So this is time really well invested. And this podcast, I mean, I've said this to you privately, um, I'll say it publicly, your podcast and some of the work that you have done has really been an inspiration uh, to me and to, you know, to also start, like you were one of the people who were like, you have to start the podcast. Here's how you do it. Here's all the tips and tricks. And here's the, so you've just been such a wonderful light from one woman to another. Thank you so much for having me on and for just being you. Thank you, my love. Thank you so much. I feel that. Thank you. I'll see you soon, honey. As you can tell, Stephanie and I are pretty much soul sisters from different countries. I love her expertise in fasting and ketogenic research and how she's able to pair those two really powerful eating strategies and techniques with our cycle to optimize our hormones, metabolism, and body composition. There is really so much that we can do on our own using our body as an indicator to optimize our hormones and feel great. Now, I know that Stephanie and I covered a lot in this interview, and it may be hard to remember it all. Goodness knows, even just the four phases of our cycle can be difficult to remember. So I'm excited that she has her wonderful Estima program and diet that you can participate in, and I will have the link in the show notes for this episode, which is 244. Also, you have got to check out her Better podcast. It is incredible. She has incredible guests on there. I've been very grateful to be on it myself, and I will have the link to her Better podcast as well in the show notes for episode 244. I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On the upcoming episode this Friday, I am super excited to come back right after Thanksgiving and share what the best foods and key nutrients, we're talking about superfoods and nutrients for healing your liver. And let's be honest, there is no better time to love up on your liver than during the holidays and also right after the holidays. So I'm going to be breaking everything down that you need to know exactly how to do it and be able to fuel your liver so not only are your hormones being produced properly and broken down properly, but also your liver is able to clear toxins without any issues at all. Until then, have a wonderful week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. I look forward to seeing you soon. Mm -hmm.